From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Monday, April 13th. Today, have you checked in with your favorite restaurants lately? They're hurting. No one can dine in them per Governor Gavin Newsom's shelter-in-place orders. Some are trying takeout, but to run a restaurant hard enough in the best of times is now effectively impossible. That's why our chefs and cooks deserve our dollars and support, now more than ever. These menches don't do it for the money. They do it to create a place where the rest of us can forget about our worries for at least one meal. And because chefs know we're hurting, a lot of them right now are still hustling. People like Min Pham, who runs Porridge and Pups in LA. It's usually a wonderful spot for Asian-inspired fine dining. Now, it's a wonderful spot for Asian-inspired bowls and sandwiches to go. And she even has a special named in honor of the late, great LA Times food critic, Jonathan Gold. Buy the Gold Set meal, and Porridge and Puffs will gift one to a first responder. Mr. Gold would have approved. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. Min, it's an obvious question, but I got to ask, how's your restaurant doing? Hey, Gustavo. You know what? We're really hopeful. You know, financially speaking, two of us are doing well. But I think morale-wise and outlook-wise, we're doing for us, we're doing pretty well. We're very hopeful. We, you know, we're service people. We aim to serve. So I think if that's the mission and making sure people are happy and are, you know, no one's really happy, but giving people a little bit of comfort and joy, I think we're delivering on that and then taking care of our team. So if those are our criteria, I think we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, Especially with restaurant workers. My wife owns a restaurant as well. And y'all live to serve folks, especially when they're, when it's hard times right now. So in many ways right now, this is a time when the restaurant industry is stepping up. Obviously, it's not the way they want to, but they're doing it regardless. Yeah, I think that's why we go into it. None of us, you know, go into this trying to make a lot of money. We hope uh-huh. we make enough to have, you know, to take care of our families and our team. So I think we go in because it's a labor of love and it's really hard to love others when you don't know what's going on with yourself. But somehow I think our team has managed. We've really stuck close. I mean, you know, safe distance physically, but I think of we're closer than we ever have been. So I think if my team is a representation of the rest of the restaurant world, we're doing our best. We're doing a lot more than we financially can afford. But I think in our minds, all that will come and it'll even out. We're very hopeful people. We think it'll all come out and even out at the end. We think it's a state of emergency. So we need to take care of things in that way. Yeah. We need to take care of things. And then the financial stuff will sort itself out later, we hope. Oh, wow. that's really, really optimistic and hopeful. But that's, hey, that's you. That's wonderful. Well, you know, I'm an immigrant. You know, it's like been through this in my family. I'm sure, you know, you know many stories and it's, you just know it's going to work out somehow. Yeah, yeah. Especially that hustle. Restaurateurs, all they do is hustle. Then compound on that, the fact you you come from immigrant stock and that's like double the hustle. Yeah. You really, you have this muscle memory of priority. You know, like, where do I need to do to survive? And it's a lot, it's a, it's more counterintuitive, I think, than what people would, you know, 
like people think survival means taking care of yourself. But I think my muscle memory is survival of the fittest is the human race. You know how disappointing it, it would be if we're the only one standing alone. That would be just miserable. Yeah, no, definitely. When Governor Newsom and Garcet, Mayor Garcetti, when they said, okay, restaurants, you effectively have to shut down. You could only do takeout. What went through your mind? And then after that, what did you tell your team? You know, I, I'm i really a proud Angelino and a proud Californian. I know this yeah. is good for people to hear because they always see me as such, like, you know, an anarchist and a rebel to a certain extent. <laughs> but I think I've really trusted in Garcetti and Newsom on this one. I think they are ahead of the curve compared to the rest of the country. So in my mind, I'm like, hey, I think they know what's best. And I actually, I was kind of monitoring the news of what was happening in Italy and previously in China and in Korea. So I knew it was coming. So we were actually a little bit prepared even before the news mm. was, you know, was out. Our team was already talking about it. How, how, how are you preparing? We were talking about what if we had a close? Is it the right thing? To, this is before like any of us had a close. And at the time we're like, you know what? We'll close down for a week. We didn't think how, you know, didn't, we didn't know how bad it was going to be. So we thought, you know, we'll close down for a week. We should all close all the, you know, in my mind, I'm like all the restaurants and everyone should just close. The whole country should close down for a week. And then that way, you know, the system has a chance to catch up. We didn't know that yeah. people were going to be playing by different rules. So when we heard the news, it was more just like, okay, this is the edict. What do we need to do? We took four days off, completely off from the team. I said, you yeah. know, we need a rest. You guys need to, like, we're, we need to come back strong. Let's rest. Don't think about this. You know, I'm going to pay you. Know that you guys are going to be paid until we figure this out. So, wow. and then, you know me, four days is a really long time. <laughs> like lifetime almost. It's like, oh my God. And it's like, it's so much thinking and so much juggling things around and rejigging. And then um, I said, this is what we're doing. We're closing our shop. We're going to open a provision shop. But mm. we didn't have an idea of what it looked like. Um, we kind of did, but it looked at the end of the day, once we launched it, it looked a lot different than it did. Yeah. So you, you take four days off, you come back. How, how do your how do customers uh, react to you coming back after four days? What are they telling you? What are they buying? What are they asking of you? The best customers ever. You know, that's the one. Thing. That's, <laughs> that's like not a secret, but kind of a secret is we have the best customers in the world. Um, super supportive. Got a lot of emails on what can we do? How can we support? And then we came back. And at the end of the day, all we did was put everything online, kind of released a lot of our pantry items that we make, and then we put it online. And then we came up with a really strong, strong protocol where there's no contact. We're in week four right now. So we kind of have a little bit of practice. I think you yeah. know, we've had some challenges. Like, I think the costing has been a lot more expensive. I really want to keep prices the same as what when we had when we had this, you know, the shop. And we really want it to be affordable. We didn't want it to be this premium service. We want it to be like, hey, you know what? If you're craving stuff, you can get it at this price you know, you know, the price of our neighborhood, but it's been challenging because takeout containers are really, really expensive, especially when you use eco. Yeah. Yeah. People don't realize that. Like my wife has that as well. They're expensive. And people, when you tell them like, hey, you know, this isn't just something you throw away. This is something that I'm trying to be more ethical with. So I'm going to have to charge you just a little bit more, but I need that to, you know, be able to pay the bill and all that. 
Yeah. And I think that's really hard for people to understand and wrap their head around. And then it's more food than it would be on a beautiful plated bowl, even when we're generous with our food, you know, so our food cost has gone up, our packaging cost has gone up. And then in, you know, consequently, our labor cost has gone up mm. uh, per item because it takes more time to do all this and clean up and and environmentally, it's more of an impact. And we are trying as much as possible for our provision stuff to be all glass jars and reusable items and paper. You know, we've really looked at this in a different way. Of course, there's plastic. You know, it's really hard to be a restaurant takeout place and not have plastic. But I'm really trying hard to not use as much plastic. So we're probably at about one third plastic. And then the rest is glass and paper. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. Uh, you're in historic Filipino town, Porridge and Puffs is. How are you seeing the neighborhood react to coronavirus? I think they're doing okay. You know, I talked to my neighbors. We have a fellow restaurant and community group, you know, that has the Prex Finest, Woon, Valerie, Geneva, Doubting Thomas, Tactile Coffee. So we kind of check in with each other and everyone, I think we're all coping pretty well. All things considered, and I've talked to some of them one-on-one -on -one, and we kind of laugh, but we think... Um, our immigrant roots are really helping us a lot. We're flexible. We've seen trauma. We have it in our blood and how to deal with trauma. Um, so I think that's been very helpful. Yeah. And, and, you know, you talk about those immigrant roots, like the hard times is when that's what really makes us, whether it's war, whether it's famine, whether it's like just leaving your entire life and crossing the border at 18 in the trunk of a Chevy like my dad. That's when you rise to the occasion. And then, you know, when the times kind of chill out and whatever, that's when you start uh, planning for the future. But right now you plan for survival and that's when we rise to the occasion. Right. That's what I think, too. And I think because it's been in our blood, you, you, you survive with humanity. Yeah rather than surviving on our own. And I think that's really important now to kind of observe a little bit. You know, you know, Aaron, my my partner, you know, who you've met is at Cal State LA and he's in anthropology. And we have a lot of family, you know, a lot of conversations between, between he and I about, you know, how people are dealing with this. And I feel like immigrants are dealing with this a lot better because you have had to start over. You yeah. know that feeling of having nothing. You know that feeling of devastation, but you know it's going to be okay, even if it's devastated. <laughs> One way or another, yeah. How do you think this is going to change the culinary scene in Los Angeles? I mean, we've been getting so much attention worldwide, really, the past decade. I'm thinking of, like, Top Chef right now. It's Top Chef Los Angeles. You're seeing all these, you know, cameos by restaurateurs here in the area. What do you think coronavirus is going to do to the scene? I don't know. I, you know, if I was hopeful, it would democratize things a little bit because of the fearful, you know, the same things that I'm talking about, the people who are afraid and kind of hiding out and holding back. Um, and the yeah. people who aren't are the immigrants. So maybe that's a really hopeful way of looking at it. Either that or it's going to be very polarizing and the rich gets richer and the poor gets poor, you know, and it's just, it can go either way. Um, I'm hoping it goes the former. So I'm doing my best to keep that, you know, not only to represent, but to support other 
small business and immigrant business. So the former would be true, but people are spending, you know, if you look at Lucas Peterson wrote a really great article. If you look at people spending the places that are packed, the number one restaurant in the country right now is Chick-fil-A. No way. The number one restaurant in LA uh, now is In-N-Out. Overrated, but yeah. But it's like people, when they're afraid, they think systematic things are safer. They think yeah. people at Chick-fil-A will have more protocols of cleaning their hands or making sure things are sterile, which is not true. And that could kill us. So it really can go either way. Yeah. In this time, what what would be your advice or uh, your your message to your fellow restaurateurs around Southern California, especially those who have had to close down, who can't continue this anymore? What would be your message to them? I think this is for everyone. We have to be fearless. There's so much fear out there. And I, I, you know, I deal with my team and then I deal with, you know, fellow restaurateurs or friends. I'm like, what are you really afraid of? Like you have to really face your fears and then be fearless. Cause it's like demystify your fear people. It's like, what are you, are you afraid of not having money? Are you afraid of losing fame? Are you, you know, like, what is it that you're afraid of? It's a good time to kind of face those fears and then be fearless and be like, you know what, do I really need that much money? Do I really need that fame? You know, like, like what is it that you know, do? Am I, you know, are you really losing your family or your family who grew up on, you know, $10 a week, you know, like me, when we, my parents first came to the United States, they're closer, they're fine, they feed their kids, their kids still have values and morals, their kids yeah. are still fully educated, their kids may not have Nikes, their kids may be wearing shoes from Payless, or no shoes at all, or, you know. Swap mate, Paramount swap exactly. mate. So, for me, it's like, what are your values? And re- really look at those values, and because that's, fear comes from I think fear comes from not knowing a lot and certain uncertainty and fear comes from losing things that you may have, but do you really need those things? Can you still keep your values and be who you are without those external things? Well, well, we're going to see, huh? Yeah. Right. Exactly. But you know, hearing you, it's always awesome. Thanks Gustavo. Love to you and the rest of the fam and then to the LA community. Thank you so much for being here and listening to us. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213 213- 986-5652 or email me gustavo.arellano at latimes.com This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Arellano. Our producers are Paige Himeson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rina Palta and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin and our original music was composed by Andrew Eben. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker tracking all the cases in California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.